of God. Good morning, everybody. Um, every now and again, you get some kind of a, a different message, a different word. God speaks in a different way. You have your run-of-the-mill, through-the-year kind of stuff. But today's not one of those. Neither this week or next week, they're different. Okay? Special. And I want you to remember that. I want you to give your, your very best attention to me. Okay? Because I believe God has spoken to me significant things for our future, for our lives, for your life and mine. Could I have my first slide up there, please? In America, they recently did a survey. And they asked people, what are the most frustrating things about your Christian growth, your spiritual growth? And in reverse order, these were the answers they gave. And I think these answers, to be honest, are pretty much the same in any country. They just happen to be America. But when it comes to spiritual growth, it doesn't matter. Number five, in reverse order, was people were frustrated that they couldn't get a consistent quiet time. Anybody there? All right. Number four, that they couldn't sense God's presence in their life. Number three, this is a huge one, this one, that they didn't measure up, they couldn't fulfill mummy, daddy's expectations or whatever. Number two, very pertinent for us, no miracles were happening. People were praying, but they weren't seeing the breakthroughs that they thought they should see. But look at number one, <laughs> that their prayer life had become cold and empty. And as Pentecostals particularly, we could become experts at going through the motions, raising our hands, clapping and whatever, you know. And if, if, if you ask these people, why are you like this? Why is this a description of you? They would say, well, I guess I, I, I just don't want God. But that's not true. I believe these people do want God. And I believe that you want God. But I also believe this probably describes you as well. Most of you, if not all of you. Inconsistency, a cold prayer life. So, I don't, if, if you think, well, it's because I don't want God, it isn't. You do want God, but you know what? You want other things more. There are other things that, that break up your consistency. There are other things in this world, in this life, Jesus called them weeds that grow up around us and choke out the Spirit of God. So, for me, that's kind of an encouraging perspective on it. Uh, I believe I do want God. But I have to learn to deal with the weeds of life. I have to learn to deal with the things that will pull me back. And so do you. At some point, that balance has to tip. Now, let me finish today. Don't be offended. I believe that you want the things of this world more than you want God. And as long as that is the case, I'm not saying you're not saved. I didn't say that. You're saved, but you want the things of this life more than God. And thus, this is the outcome. Now, something the reason why I'm saying these two weeks are kind of different and special, and I am correct. I had Jeanette at home for seven days. It was an incredibly difficult task, I can tell you. I looked after her at home, and I brought her back to the place on New Year's Eve. And I was exhausted mentally, spiritually, and physically. And I went home late New Year's Eve and I went to sleep. Right? And I woke up at about 11 o'clock on New Year's Day. But guess what? 
God, God was in my room. Yeah. Powerful, intense presence of God. Now, I've encountered God. Been baptized in fire. I've had encounters, not many, two or three encounters with God in my life. Just had another one. So I woke up and I was immediately, intensely aware that God was coming to visit. So I got up. Got dressed, had a shower because I wanted to present myself and I went and I stood before God and I said, Lord, what, you know, why are you here? What is it, what you want? I need to know what you want. And it was a long time. And gradually, through, you know, a few hours, I became aware what the word was. So what he wanted to say to me, why he had come to visit. You know, in the book of Genesis, it says when there was trouble on the earth, it says the Lord came down to see for himself. How can the Lord come down? He's already there. And God is in my flat all the time. He's in your home. He's in your heart. But there's a way in which God can make himself known. And when I woke up, he wanted me to know I'm here. So I was kind of scared. Scared's the wrong word. I was awestruck, I guess. So got up and I waited and waited and waited. And it, it, you know, a few hours, it just became aware to me that he said, fast. And that was it. Fast. And he's gone. <laughs> Come back. Fast, is it? Okay. So I haven't eaten anything solid since that moment, actually. I stopped. You want me to fast? I'll fast. What was that, 11 days ago? I just had fluids. and No soup, no fruit juice. Just fluids. Not difficult. But I, I don't know where it's going. I don't know what he wants to deal with within me. <laughs> Maybe he wants to deal with this list. And another, this is not the Lord, this is me talking. Another thing, when God was gone, if you know what I mean, when I was left to surmise life, and, you know, 2015, and the world in which we live, and me, who I am, these are my words, not the Lord's. But I almost, I could almost say it though, like a passing comment from God, oh, by the way, Michael, I'm coming back for my bride. Quite soon. And I don't want to leave you behind. So get your act together. You know what I mean? You take a look at France. It's the tip of the iceberg. And we don't know how fast, with great speed, the end times are going to catch us up. The scripture always says most people will be caught sleeping. And I am highly honoured. And I will honour your call to me. Where it takes us, I don't know. Sorry. I've got no food, you dry up. <laughs> I will honour that word. And where it takes us, I don't know. But it kind of makes me a little bit trepidatious about the end times being right here, right now. You're in it. This is not a time for you to be complacent. It's not a time for you to please others in your life. As such, it's a time for you to listen to the voice of the Master and to follow that voice above every other voice. You can say amen. amen. Hello. It's not a time for any other thing in life, guys. Not a time. Wrong time. You got the wrong time. I'm writing a message for Singapore called Not Now. There's many things you can do in life. Just don't do them now. <laughs> you got the wrong time. You're living in the wrong era. Amen. amen. So, you suffer from these in greater and lesser measure. Each one of them. We all suffer from them. 
And what I'm saying, plain and simply, if you go to Scripture, and I'll prove it this week and next week, Scripture gives a very clear answer to all five in one word. What's the word? Fast. So when Jesus encountered people, as we'll see over the next couple of weeks, when Jesus encountered people with these difficulties, these problems, he always responded the same way. In fact, I'm gobsmacked in the last you know, few weeks as I've been looking at this, how intense it is in Scripture. Look, here's a question. When were you last hungry? Don't say you're hungry now. When were you last hungry? Okay, well, the last time you were hungry, how long were you hungry for? Ten minutes? Half an hour? How long were you hungry for? Or how quickly did you feed that appetite? When was the last time you were hungry for God? And did you satisfy that appetite? Answer, no. I'll explain, as I say, as I go on. We know nothing about hunger. We know nothing about physical hunger. And that's, you know, the, 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 the satisfying of these natural appetites quenches God. And quenches our hunger for God. It's almost like we're faced with a choice. Continual choice. And at some point we have to change the way in which we've lived for so long. And make a decision to cross to another path, another way of life. If food dominates our world, dominates our society. Amen? Amen. Oh yes it does. Completely and utterly. Pastor Jeff used to get incredibly frustrated when he would take the evangelism team down on the street and they only had two hours to evangelize from 12 to 2 and he'd have 10 people on the team and three of them say they have to go for lunch at 1 (laughs) o'clock. And it's only two hours! And it can't fulfill two hours. We have to go and get something to eat. Exactly what the disciples did. It was a wake-up call for me when I arrived in Singapore in any consistent form when we do our meetings there. This is what happens. You go in we have meetings from 9 o'clock till 6 o'clock for five days consecutively. And this is a normal way of life over there. It's not a normal way of life for us so much here. But we meet at 9 o'clock and then about 10.30, they bring in the first wave of, say food. You Thank you. <laughs> they bring in the first wave of food. And that tends to be lighter stuff, but there's tons of it. And then you go back and you do some more work. And I think that's it, you know. No, 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 no. We haven't even started yet. <laughs> And then about 11.45, 12 o'clock, the next phase come in. And then they go out again. I think, that's a lot. And then 12 o'clock or so, the third wave, and this is more heavy. This is curries and all that sort of stuff. And then 1 o'clock, I remember when I was first there, it's time for lunch. I haven't even finished sitting down for that. Put that down, you have to go for lunch. What are you talking about? And then you go back after lunch at 2 o'clock, and then 3.30, the whole thing's set out again. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's extreme. It's extreme. Do you know, Wayne Benson, they paid a fortune to fly Wayne Benson in from, he was leading a revival in Grand Rapids in America. People flying in from all over the world, a huge revival taking place. And and the church in Singapore, to their credit, asked him to come in and to guide them and to help them that they too could enter that kind of revival in the nation. So Wayne Benson comes in, I was there, I was at the meeting. And there's probably about a thousand people or something in the meeting. And it came time for lunch. And he said this. If anybody doesn't want to go for lunch, by the way, (laughs) stay behind and come down to the front and join me. 
And then the ding-a-ling-a-ling time for lunch. Boom! That place was empty, man. Oh, yeah. Empty. There was one person stayed behind with him. A young guy. And we all came back in. We thought it was time for session two. No. Wayne Benson was furious. Absolutely furious. And he let it rip. Why did you invite me here? You don't want what I'm selling. You don't want this. He was telling the truth. And Rick got up, prostrated himself on the floor. He was devastated because it was the truth. But it's good, it's good to get a wake-up call like that. Not nice to hear it. Not nice to experience it. But you're better for it. Amen. Right? And so these are, yes, they're hard truths. But they're necessary truths if we're going to genuinely change and make a difference in our lives and thus in the world. Food is, is a major player in Scripture, especially when it comes to people getting stuck in their way or a blockage in miracles. You know, this person wasn't healed because you didn't pray and fast. There's all, it comes up again and again and again and again and again, yet we would prefer to think it's no problem. We would prefer to think, actually, it's not food. That's too simple. But Jesus consistently brings many issues back to this one thing of food. Now, without us knowing it, our society has changed and the way they produce food that you eat and I eat, it's, 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 it's greatly changed. Next slide, please. Oh, hello. Which one do you want? There, there's been a drastic change. Even though this might seem ludicrous, it's actually not that ludicrous if you think of the calorie count. Next slide, please. Look at this. In 1990, if you bought yourself a slice of pizza, the average slice of pizza had 550 calories. Today, 850. That's a jump of 300. This is what's killing our people, right? Obesity. Popcorn, 270. Today, 630. Burger, 330. Today, 590. And here's a shocking fact. If you ate two slices of pizza per month, or a whole pizza every two and a half months, and you did that for 20 years, the difference in the calorific value there is 300. You would put on 40 pounds. Wow. Just one pizza. Every two months, a whole pizza. Or two slices a month. The difference, just the difference would actually put 40 pounds on you. Now we have some doctors here. What's the effect of food in our society? What's the effect of obesity? It's killing the nation. And you know what it does, folks? It actually crushes your organs. Next slide, please. This is the biggest burger in the world that you can buy to eat. It's called the Smoky Mountain Chili Kicking Big Mouth something or other. I'm not going to say the end of it. That's it. <laughs> that looks quite nice, doesn't it? Take it off, take it off. No, no. We need to think again as Christians. We need to think again, review what we're doing, how we're doing it, and make a sensible assessment because Jesus called them weeds. I was looking at a McDonald's big breakfast the other day. A McDonald's big breakfast is find out the calorific value. 740 calories in a McDonald's breakfast. A bowl of porridge and an apple. Do you know how many? 40. 740. And 40. That's some difference. And I'm just saying, we need to wise up. 
A book, um, a man called Wilbur Reese in 1971 wrote a book called Give Me Three Dollars Worth of God. And this is what he says in the book. Walks into a shop. I would like to buy three dollars worth of God, please. Not enough to set me on fire. Not enough to disturb my life. Just enough to keep me ticking over. Not really that hungry. Just enough to keep me saved. That's not hunger. That's not hunger, is it? That's tokenism. Now, just in case you think I'm exaggerating, let me take you on a very quick whistle-stop tour of Scripture here. Look at John chapter 4, verse 1. John chapter 4, verse 1. John chapter 4, verse 1. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who was baptized his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through, the, through Samaria. So he came to a town in, Kamer, in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground where Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone to the town too. Buy food. There you go. <laughs> and if you can go forward, what is it? Verse 26, I think it is. Go forward to verse 26. No, sorry, that's the wrong one. Uh, I want you to just, just, just look up a minute. Here you have, obviously what's happened here, you have the 12 disciples following Jesus and they're walking along a road. What's Jesus thinking about? Ministry. Finding that lost woman who then goes on to lead many others. What are the disciples thinking about? Food. Food. And they separate their paths. And then later in the chapter, they join back up again and Jesus kind of tries to correct them in that. You know, telling them to keep their mind in the kingdom and not to be worldly in that way. John chapter 6. Jesus has just performed the, the feeding of the 5,000. He produced the loaves and the fish and he fed the multitudes. And the next day, everybody comes back to see him again. And the crowds have gathered. And in John chapter 6, verse 26, Jesus says a terrible thing. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you're not looking for me. You're not hungry for me. Uh, not because of the, the, you, you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves, and you had your fill, do not work for food that spoils, which is what the disciples didn't realize on that road. They sought food rather than ministry. Jesus was switched on in the spirit and knew there was something at that well. He knew there was something to do. Okay, Verse 27, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. And then I think verse 31 was it in this same one. Oh yeah, verse 31 in the same chapter. Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Supernatural bread. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. I got verse 22. Yeah. Luke chapter 12 verse 22. 
Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, about what you will eat, or about your body, or what you will wear, for life is more than food. Okay, I just want you to understand, Jesus was consistently talking to the disciples about what? Food. You can't deny it. Over and over and over again, he came back to them on the same issue. Matthew chapter 14, verse 14. Matthew chapter 14, verse 14. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. There you go. Jesus is feeling sorry for the people. He wants to work miracles. Jesus had compassion on them and he healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, here we go again, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away. Why? Here we go again. Send the crowds away. What does that mean, folks? It's got nothing to do with the crowds. Who's hungry? They are. Oh yeah, you better believe it. Nothing to do with the crowds. It just sounds better. Right? The disciples are hungry. The worship team's hungry. The evangelists are hungry. And they come up with some spiritual sounding excuse. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages. And Jesus replies, you give them something to eat. And he's not talking about food, is he? He's talking about miracles like Peter and James at the gate. Beautiful. Gold and silver have I none. But what I have, which is food, life, healing, miracles... I give you. Mark chapter 7. We can go on all day here if you want. Mark chapter 7. Verse 2. This is a sad one. This is the equivalent of someone eating their dinner today or their lunch today without saying grace. The disciples had gathered around Jesus and he saw that some of his disciples were eating food with hands that were defiled, that were unwashed. In other words, they felt so hungry they didn't even bother to say, they didn't even bother to thank God for the food that he had provided. Believe me, they weren't that hungry, right? Excuse me. Don't fall down. That's my first point. I, I want you to accept, and I hope you will with me, that I have very little hunger for God. And the reason, one of the reasons, one of the dominating reasons that I see in Scripture is because I eat so much. Right? That's what he says. I didn't say it, he says it. So they're constantly, the apostles are constantly tripping up in their spiritual fervor and Jesus constantly brings them back to food, but they, being spiritually superior, say, that's too simple for me. That's too simple. I want something more complicated, some theological reason. No. And you'll understand more with this second point. Do you agree with me that you have little hunger for God? Amen. Amen. Good people. Secondly, and this is, I really pray, I've prayed more about this point than any other point, because this point is the bee's knees. This is where it's at. This is the heart of our problem, because I don't believe we realize this. You only have so much hunger. And the hunger within you, you can't, Spread it out. I don't know how to articulate it. It's, I'm being clumsy with the way I'm saying this, but I'll get it out in time. When I wake up, right, I get up very early, 
I've developed a habit, but I've learned it by painful uh, absence of God. When I get up, I'm very quick to take a shower, and I am through my front door so fast, you wouldn't believe it. I am out of the house, because I've learned it, God will not tolerate any other engagement in that time. That's his time. That's his moment. But if I take something to eat, it, it just changes the whole dynamic. changes the whole atmosphere. It's somehow he's not there in the same way. I miss the moment. You've got to seize that moment and value him above food. <laughs> so, I wake up. What is the first thing? Excuse me. What is the first thing you do when you wake up? I know many people develop a good discipline and they, they pray or whatever. I believe that God gives us a moment there and it's a moment that we can't play games with because he's a jealous God. I would put for me personally, and I encourage you to do the same thing. I have an extra slice in here and it is jealously guarded as God's time. And I've learned that he will meet me provided I meet him. I learned that from my father who always did exactly that. No food, nothing, straight to the church in the morning. And I watched him and I saw the joy in him when he came home. And I learned that God has his demand. And it's worth it. It's fantastic. But you see, I've only got so much hunger. So have you. Now, if you fill that hunger with your breakfast, guess what? Are you going to want God? No. Everything just changed because of food. Oh, yes, it did. You've just changed the dynamic. So right from the get-go, you need to get a, a, a practice, a habit of establishing God as your first port of call in the morning. But for most people, this time is not there in any significant or genuine way. Even if it's God bless mommy, God bless daddy, God bless Uncle Bob. You know, I'm not talking about that. Prayer is when I connect with God. It's a relationship. I know he's there, he knows I'm there. It's communication. It's not just, we're not religious, amen? amen? But for most people, the first thing they will do is breakfast. Big mistake. Big mistake. And then they go to work. And then they go to check your phone. So that's going to take three or four hours, right? You know, they just dominate our lives. Then you've got lunch. Then you've got more work. Then you go home for dinner. Then it's TV time. And you've got to go to sleep. <laughs> oh, I forgot something. God. Oh, I know. We can sleep in a... God bless mommy. God bless daddy. God bless them. Blah, blah. Yeah, that's what we can do. That's a good, solid relationship on the go there, isn't it? So you've only got so much hunger. And what you feed that hunger on, you, 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 you just don't want God then. It's as simple as that. It, it, you know, the world is a usurper and it takes his place. So I, I ask you to give God some space to give you an appetite for him. And when he is there for you, don't ignore him. Don't ignore him. Don't sideline the Holy Ghost. But if God leads you and guides you, you go with him. Seize the moment. Right? You listening to me? I believe God will give you a moment simply because you're here this morning and you're listening. God will give you a moment. He'll come to you and give you a chance to enter onto that escalator and get close to him. But you must seize the moment. I told you before, a good friend of mine in Dublin I wanted to bring him into full-time ministry and I set him up with everything he needed to do that. 
And I brought him into a meeting, set him up with a meeting with Pastor Rick, and he rejected the thing. Idiot. He actually rang about a month ago to Roy and said, I regret what I... Yeah, I, I regretted it 15 years ago. No point now. You missed the moment. You missed the moment. Now, God is generous. God is kind. God is gracious. You can miss it tomorrow. Try again the next day. Right? Keep on trying. But when God shows up, honor him. Seize the moment and don't let it slip by. Point one. We have little hunger for God. That's true. Point two. You only have so much hunger. And if you feed that hunger on the wrong thing, then your hunger for God will definitely be diminished. Point three. Our enslavement, our enslavement to food definitely stifles our hunger for God. And I can say that for me. I'm sure most of you will be happy enough to say that for you. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 15. This describes me. <laughs> Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 15. Find this in your Bibles, folks, because I want you to see this. You see what, how blunt, this is an amazing scripture. Deuteronomy 32, 15. Look at this. I mean, could it be any more clear? Deuteronomy 32, 15. Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. That means he relaxed, he laid back, he sat back. Jeshurun grew fat and kicked back. Filled with food, they became heavy and sleek. Look at the next bit. They abandoned the God who made them and rejected the rock, their salvation. In fact, it gets worse because they go on to serve foreign gods. There's no end to it. Now, I mean, that is just as blunt as it comes. Serious stuff, isn't it? And it takes, especially at the beginning of a new year like this, which is a very significant new year. I mean, God knows where we're going to end up, the way the world is going and the speed of the change. It's, it's astonishing. So, folks, look at me. You could say, well, I I know I should fast. I know I want to fast, uh, but I can't. Yes, you can. Or you could say, "I, I don't really want to do that, but I think you do. In your heart of hearts, you do. You want to grow close to God. You know the whole thing, but we've convinced ourselves that, you know, it's not going to happen or whatever. But I don't think you can avoid it. I don't think I can avoid it. I have to come this way. This is the biblical path. There is no other route. You know? So you all look very serious. You know, two things get a congregation looking the way you're looking right now. Talking about money and talking about food. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> Relax. It's okay. <laughs> Hallelujah. So we have an enslavement to food. I believe I do. And so do you. And if you didn't, it, you know, this wouldn't be your roundabout story. That wouldn't be your roundabout story. But... Let's tell the truth. It is our roundabout story. It is my roundabout story. I am Jeshurun. This is me. I'm not going to continue like that. Right? You going to continue like that? I'm a prophet and an apostle. Two things. Two gifts. I don't say that. My leaders say that. I'm a prophet and apostle. Do you know what that means? See, as a prophet... It means everything that you see me go through, guess who's going to go through it next? The role of the prophet is to endure in full public gaze that which comes upon the world. 
The troubles, the strifes, that's the role. Go study their lives. God puts it upon them. They have to behave in a certain way. The people observe. Then the people go through similar trials and temptations, situations of their own. And they must be ready. And it's, a, it's, a, it's not a nice thing. But it's a necessary thing. So what I'm saying to you is I believe, I, I'm not joking, I could put it, I could, I'm putting it in my own words. I really felt that, that you know, God in my room on New Year's Day was, uh, I'm coming back soon. I'll be back in a minute. Uh, are you coming with me? Not like that. Scary, isn't it? Scary. That'll wake you up, won't it? <laughs> Happy New Year! That'll wake you up. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We have an enslavement to food. Of that, I don't think any of us will doubt. Turn to Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, verse 21. Paul here talking, Colossians chapter 2 verse 21. And he talks about people who tell people, you can't eat this and you can't eat that and you shouldn't eat this and you shouldn't eat that and you eat that, it'll kill you. You know that sort of thing. And Paul here addresses those people. Verse 21. Do not listen to those who say, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules have to do with the things that are all, that, that, that are all destined to perish with use and based on mere human commands. Such Regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value for restraining sensual indulgence. I tell you what, that is a good, that is a one good piece of scripture right there. One good piece of scripture. He is so right. Absolutely so right. What's happening here, some of the Pharisees are saying to the people, if you abstain from this food and you abstain from that food and you abstain from this food, you'll get saved. And Paul is saying, don't listen to people who say that. Don't listen to that sort of, you know, religion, which is what it is. But the same Paul goes on to tell us how to fast. Okay? And my point is this, folks. There, there are two different ways. And this coming year, 2015, I want all of us to pray and fast. Okay? Many times people prayed, nothing's happening. You need to fast. Amen. I'm going to deal with it next week. These two things are like connected. Bang! They're explosive when you bring them together. Okay? And that's why I hope, that's why I believe this year here for you, that you reassess the things that you've prayed for and maybe you haven't had an answer for, and you readdress them not just with prayer, but also with fasting. Right? And I believe there, there's absolute power in there. No, I mean, myself and Jeanette did a 21-day fast there a few years ago. We did 14 days on two slices of bread a day. After about seven days, you get hungry, you know. <laughs> two slices of bread a day. And then on the 14th day, I decided I'm just going to go for water for the last seven. And, you know, it, it was an incredibly good fast. It was very, very, very beneficial. We both really felt the presence of God, the company of God through that time. My point is this. It, Say, brother, if you get up tomorrow morning and you say to God, I'm going to fast today. I'm going to give this day to you, God. I'm not going to eat. And then you go to work 
and somebody brings you, what, what's your favorite food? Okay. I don't know. Sandwich. Someone, a guy comes in and he has your favorite sandwich, right? And you say, oh, that looks nice. You eat it. Would you feel guilty? I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't. I'm serious. And that's a, there's a reason why I fast. I fast more successfully than all of you. Definitely. But there's a reason. See, that guilt is not from God. Guilt is from the devil. Conviction, that's from God. Guilt will stop you fasting. And then you won't go back and do it again. But see, I have a hundred times I've said to God I'm going to fast, but something happens and I'll eat. The next day I'll get up. He's my friend. He's on my side. And I'll sit down and I'll say, God, I blew it yesterday, didn't I? What shall we do? How do you want to deal with this? And you readdress it. And with that attitude, what begins to change inside you, your whole perspective to life changes and you get on a, a better walk. So guilt has got no place with us. It comes from the devil. God gives a thing, a very healthy, healing, progressive thing called conviction, which has no guilt attached to it. It's just a, a feeling of love because you're in an intimate relationship. It's a different methodology of operating with God. Oh, by the way, next Sunday we're going to eat all the food with Peter and Philia. <laughs> Good timing. <laughs> mm. So what we're going to do next Sunday... We're going to put all the food around the room, downstairs, okay? We're all going to go down, and no one is going to eat. <laughs> no, just joking. Um, I don't want to start yet, I don't, because you need to do these things properly, you know, with, with, a, with a proper mindset set for the future. Don't play games with it. It's not a game. It's a spiritual thing. It's an important thing to God. Study this week. In your cell groups, study the material. Go home and think about it. Pray about it. Next Sunday, we will all celebrate downstairs. Amen? They all say, hey, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> next Sunday, we will all celebrate downstairs. Then, next week, I'm going to give you a, a profile of fasting for this coming year. And it will have something that every single one of you can do. Some of you are on tablets. You can't fast. I understand that. You will have a, a, a program that you can keep. And you will find on that list is about seven different... The Bible has seven different types of fasts. You know that? Seven different types of fasts for different reasons. So next week I will explain them. And you can find in there something that will suit you. And something that you can practically apply for the rest of this year. I've been studying up on it, obviously. And it just blows my mind. I was looking at the whole process. This is a great piece I've got here on the, the, the different days of fasting, like say you go the first two or three days and what happens in your body, there's spiritual things taking place, but there's also physical things taking place. And they're both, God wants us, I believe, to, to benefit from both, to heal your body. And that, it's not just your spirit. I've lost that script. I'll get that scripture where it talks about cleansing our body through fasting. That's, that, in that context, it wasn't talking about spirituality. It was talking about, you know, you don't want to get too graphic here, but your colon, the feces gets impacted in your colon, you know. And that stuff can build up over time. And you end up getting sick. You end up with diseases, all sorts of things in your body. And one of the things that happens with fasting is you actually clean out your whole system. And at a certain point, for me, it was last Wednesday, at a certain point, your body kind of throws a switch. It's rotten. It feels horrible. 
It's just like, wow. Your whole system is moving from an intake of food and the body turns on itself to heal itself. Issues that you've maybe carried for years, that impacted feces in your colon, eventually it's called being autolyzed. Your own body starts to shift it and clean you out. We disobey God on these things. And then we complain about this thing and that thing in my body. If we just obeyed the system, stuck with the system, your body would look after itself. Amen. So there are spiritual benefits galore, but there are also very necessary physical things. And if we ignore him, ultimately, you know, we can pay the price for that with things that would have naturally been dealt with. Point number four. Fasting breaks my enslavement. (laughs) Fasting breaks my enslavement to food, whatever that enslavement may be. Uh, My poor sister had an absolute addiction to Diet Coke. Oh, ay yo yo. You never seen anybody drink so much Diet Coke. It was make me cry just looking at her. She was totally, totally. Andrew Womack tells a story of one woman who came to, to him, wanted to minister in this, and he said the woman came up and every time he saw her she had a can of Diet Coke. That's a problem. It's like me with coffee, you know. I've got a real problem with coffee. I love my coffee, especially when I work. It just goes together with my work. That's a tough thing for me to break. So every, there, there are foods that get a grip on you and those things have to be broken. You know, one person used to really <laughs> mock me for my coffee love. You know? And very often I saw this person look at me and I've got my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Let me know. That's disgraceful. That's your third cup this morning. Third is my fifth. I could really feel it. Wanted me to know that it was wrong. Funny thing though, one day I went to pick, pick that person up at their home. And this person is a health fanatic. And I go into the home and say, you ready? Not yet. He's in the kitchen looking around. And he calls his wife, where's my health shake? Not that one, the other one. Can't find one. And they're going through the cupboards. And I tell you what, descended in that room was an ungodly fear. And that guy was in complete panic. I need the hell shake. I need that one. Okay, can I just the hell shake? His wife was frightened. I thought, this is crazy. This is madness. What's going on here? And then the wife, to her great relief, found one. I got one. I got one. I could see her. I thought, this is not right. So we got outside and I said, what's that health sake? He said, that's a caffeine one. Hello? Hello? That's a caffeine one. Smack. What do you want about? See with these things. Don't get particular about other people. Don't look at other people. Don't judge other people. Like the guy who's particular with his food. You know, when Paul was saying in Colossians, don't listen to those who tell you to avoid this or avoid that. It's very important. Listen, folks, I hope you're serious. I'm serious. I want to deal with food because Jesus tells me it's high on his agenda. But I want to deal with it in a way that lasts. I want to deal with it in a way that succeeds. There's a right way and a wrong way for everything on this earth. I was out for dinner with some Christians all sitting around the table. And one, one person was not right in his approach to fasting. 
in his approach to discipline. And the waitress comes to say, would you like drinks? I say, yeah, I'll have a Coke. and I'll have an iron brew, you know. Oh, not this guy. Uh, how many milliliters are in the glass? Okay, he says, uh, 350, I'll just, yeah, yes, 350, that's too much. I want 250, you have a 250 mil glass? Uh, I'll go and check, yes we have. Okay, I want pure grape juice, two thirds of that glass, pure grape juice, and the rest, spring water. I thought the menu's going to be interesting when we get to that. <laughs> and then she comes with this, what is it? What weight is it? Where did you get I thought, come on, that is not right, you know? So, gorging yourself and eating anything you want, with no regard for your body, is wrong. Amen? Amen. But this type of crazy approach to discipline is also wrong. That's madness. That guy sat eating his dinner in total judgment of everyone else at the table. Amen? Amen. (laughs) You know the type? You know the type? That's no good. That's not fasting. That's the type of thing that God will spew out of his mouth. That's not fasting. It's a completely different thing. So get... Think ahead, plan ahead, and you can do a fast, and a fast that will last. For this coming week, we're not going to do that, as I say. All we're going to do is think about what we're going to do. Let it settle in. Study those scriptures. I've given you loads of them. Last point, point five. Fasting can and will ignite your hunger for God if you do it correctly and you do it for God. Last scripture, sorry, second last scripture, I think, Zechariah chapter 7. Oh, come on. Scriptures. Zechariah chapter 7, verse 4. Zechariah chapter 7, verse 4. Then the word of the Lord Almighty came to me. Ask all of the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted, and mourned in the fifth and seventh months, listen to this, for the past 70 years. Was it really for me that you fasted? Imagine, imagine fasting for 70 years and God rejects it. By the way, my fast is not private. I will do my own private fast. It's nothing to do with you. But as a prophet, this is not a private fast. My visit is not private. And God is speaking to me so I can speak to you. Amen? You understand? I will do my own private fast. But some giving is in public. Some praying is in public. Some praying is in private. Some fasting is in public. Some fasting is in private. This for me is not a private fast. It's a one that I should go through and then lead you. Right? Now look at this. He says, when you fasted, oh, look at these people. They're fasting for 70 years and yet God does not want their fast. He doesn't accept their fast because the motivation behind it was wrong. And their attitudes were wrong. That's why I don't want you to start fasting tomorrow. I want you to start thinking about things. One of the fa- I used to go away for one month a year and fast. I did it for five years in a trot for 25, 30 days. I went to a Christian holiday camp or went off in a tent. And for the first couple of years, it was confusing because I come to seek God. I, you know, I'm in a tent. I get a bottle of water. And I'm angry at someone from 20 years ago. And it annoys me. I didn't come here for this. I didn't come here to think about this person that offended me. That's not what I'm here for. And yet, like, the, the, the incident would be blazing before me. And I can't get away from it. And then, I, ah, I get it, I get it, I get it. I want to go into the presence of God. But God, you can't come like that. 
And he finds unforgiveness in me. And he's showing me. And I learn. Sometimes you get very angry when you're fasting. That's a good sign, by the way. Some people, you know, they fast one day, two days, second day, their temper's so bad, they say, oh, I may as well just eat. No. That proves you've got anger in you. And God's getting it out of you. That's the purpose of the fast. That's why it's there. Let the anger rip in the right way. You know what I mean? Let it out. Deal with it. Deal with it. I'm angry about this. Show me what I need to do to correct this. Let me put it right. If it's unforgiveness or things, these things will definitely come. Now, you're still not getting into a fast yet because you need to get them out of your system first. To be honest, a real, a real fast doesn't really start till about three or four days. Three or four days. And then there's, there's levels after that. But a proper biblical fast. Do you, know, do you know what a bucket list is? It's the things that you plan to do in your life and you've got to do them once, you know? Wouldn't it be a tragedy if your bucket list didn't include fasting? I mean, proper fasting. Imagine you as a born-again Christian carrying that big Bible of yours and you went through your whole life and you never... Remember what Paul said? great statement it's the most encouraging statement for me personally it's the one i've fallen back on more than any other statement to encourage fasting paul said to the people one day he said hey do you remember your former life do you remember the way you used to live what did you gain nothing you gained nothing did you correct right so you're going to go back to your former life no don't be stupid and when i'm fasting and i get hungry and I'm tempted, you know, I'll go and I'll go and have sex. I, I think to myself, do you know what, Mike? You've eaten every day of your life. Every day. You wouldn't miss it. What did you gain? Yeah, ten stone, that's what you gained. <laughs> what did you gain? You gained nothing. You gained nothing. And so wisdom can kick in there and you can start to see that I'm not going to continue like that. Time's getting on. I'll skip here. Psalm 69. Psalm 69 and verse 10. This is David talking about how fasting affected him. Forgive me, I'm using NIV and the English may not be what it's, it's actually in the Hebrew is much better. Um, he, uh, Psalm 69 verse 10. When I weep and I fast, I must endure scorn is the way he puts it. But in the original Hebrew, what it says is, when I wept and fasted, I was afflicting myself. That's the purpose of fasting, that you afflict yourself. You weaken yourself. Let me just confirm this in Leviticus, and then I will definitely close. Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 29. Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 29. When God says there's a lasting ordinance that he places on the human race, it means it's got nothing to do with the Jews. It's got to do with every person who believes in Jehovah. Leviticus chapter 16 verse 29. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves and not do any work, whether native born or foreigner residing among you. Because on this day, atonement will be made for you to cleanse you then the Lord, uh, then before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. It is a day of Sabbath rest and you must deny yourselves. Now, the word there is affliction. 
Folks, David said, I am going to deliberately make myself weak. In Leviticus, God was telling them, set aside a day and make yourself deliberately weak. Weaken yourself. Weaken yourself. I was in a bad situation recently when someone treated me badly in front of many people. And I'm strong and I can bite back if you want me to. Don't want to, but I will if you want. And I sat there. I just had a few seconds. One, two, three. Make up your mind which way is this going to go. And I, as I sat there, I thought, nah. I'll be weak. <laughs> I'll be weak. Let it ride. Let it go. I can't tell you the blessing that came from that within 24 hours. Huge wave of blessing. I won't go into detail. But an enormous blessing returned to me. And I remember the next day thinking, thank God that I've learned that my strength can be my greatest weakness. When I don't know how to... Do you know what? I know lots of pastors, guys. I know loads of pastors. There are more pastors out of ministry because of their strength than there are because of weakness. I can do it myself. I'm Superman. I can do it. I can do it all around. So strong. And they disappear into oblivion. Your strength will kill you, friend. So God says, set aside a day, humble yourself and weaken yourself and he will see you. A humble and contrite heart, he will not ignore. But our loftiness and our pride That pride can eventually bring us down. Let's not be like Jeshurun, who grew fat in the ways of the world and lost his intimacy with God. Let's do the exact opposite. In fact, I can gladly go and say that God is saying exactly that to us, to me and thus to you. It's an invitation to change your ways systematically, Change your ways. There you go, Lord. That's just the food taken away. Just the food bit. Even for a day. stand I'm just going to give you a moment to to think through and David said he set his forehead like flint he made a holy determination in his own heart to set himself after God and all the more so for us in these last days I ask you to take a moment and to do exactly that ask the worship team take your places thank you